Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want you to join me, if you will, this evening in the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to go to chapter number one, Philippians chapter one. And uh, we'll begin reading at verse 23, and we'll read 23 and 24. And uh, I'll make several other references to other scriptures, but let this be a launching place for us tonight. Amen. Aren't you thankful that you're here in the presence of God and that he is here and that we are not here alone? Amen. I, I thank the Lord again today that we didn't have to wonder where we were going to meet. We didn't have to text everybody the address. Amen. We knew because of God's goodness and his mercy. The book of Philippians 1 and 23, Paul said, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Amen. And tonight I want to talk from this subject for just a little while about divine pressure. Amen. Divine pressure. We don't really like pressure in life. We would prefer that life would just be smooth and there would be no ills. And sometimes the pressures of life are just life. Sometimes it's a battle that we're facing and it possibly could be the enemy. But I believe there are some times that what we are under is a divine hand of God because God is trying to work something in us or out of us or through us. Amen. Divine pressure. May God bless you and you can be seated. It seems apparent that Paul is at a point of crisis in his life and in his heart and mind. And um, I think I could safely say that that's not a place that's unfamiliar to anyone here. We've all been in that place, that strait that Paul talked about betwixt two. Two things bidding for our attention Two things bidding for our heart and our emotions. And both of them are significant. It's not as though one is so grossly outweighed or counterbalanced by the other. It's not a place we're unfamiliar with. Two things, two worlds coming together. And we felt the pressures and the stresses of life on many, many levels and grappled with the choices that stood before us, wondering which road to take. Amen. Amen. Trying to decide, Lord, I see a fork in the road. I stand at an intersection, and I just need your divine guidance. I need your hand. We grapple with things, and uh, in this passage is the voice of a man that we've never met, and yet we've all grown to trust, and he himself clearly standing with two choices before him. I've always been encouraged and strengthened by the transparent honesty of many, many people in the scripture, but certainly of the Apostle Paul. Here's a man well-educated, a man that is polished and refined on every level, 
But he was also not a man that was ashamed or afraid to just reveal his heart and his thoughts. And so he stands before people. And he is people that he is leading. And he said, there's two roads in front of me. I would love to be with the Lord. Paul was a man who suffered much. I was reading today in the book of Acts. And I believe in chapter, well, I was reading chapter 19 and 20. And maybe it was chapter 20 where Paul talks about that uh, the things that he knew he would encounter. He felt constrained, pressed of the spirit of God to go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul had by this point a clear understanding of, of what the gospel would mean. It was not going to be that he would be the hero. It was not going to mean that people would be singing his praises and that, and that billboards would boast his name and picture. No, it was quite the opposite of that. Paul was mocked and beaten and scoffed and, and uh, all manner of things. But yet he was not unwilling to stand and talk honestly. Amen. I believe that Paul felt and had good reason to go both directions. He could have, we would have understood perhaps either decision that he made. And so he is so open to the tension that had been created in his own heart and his own mind. And so in our flesh, I believe that we have to applaud that level of honesty. I just sometimes have said to people that were just honest about something, I just said, I'd like to thank you for being honest about that. I would like to just thank you for just, just being honest. Not that they would be deceitful, but for just laying it out and just being uh, courageous enough, if you want to say, to just, just say this is how we feel. Uh, I, not long ago, was uh, grappling with something in my own mind. I was with a close friend and and I said, I just have a question. I said, have you ever felt such and such? And he said, just thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Amen. And so I knew that we really didn't have to discuss that any further. And, and uh, his answer was, my, his answer or his reply was my answer because we feel sometimes because we stand in that straight and we feel that pressure that, that we must be the odd man out and there must be something wrong there must be something wrong with me or with us or uh, we can associate may, maybe that wrong to many things in our life. But, but here is Paul that has a desire to be with the Lord, but he knew that there was a significant need for him to be there for those people. And uh, that's one of the primary ways I believe that we can learn how to sacrifice. There may be some things that we think, well, I could do this, but I know I am needed here and so that is a way, that is a way that we can sacrifice to the Lord and give ourselves. Of course, I believe that perhaps we're living in a day when the most precious commodity to all of us is time. Time. Uh, there seems to be never enough time. And it just seems as though, and I know that this would almost sound redundant, but it just seems as though it was just the first of the year and, and now... Uh, we're just days away from the holiday season and, of course, consequently the end of this year, the welcoming of another year. And so there are things that we feel like we could do. We could be doing this, but we know that God has placed us in a, and, and Paul knew that he was there for the people. Yes, it would have been good for him to be with the Lord, but he said, but I need to be here. And so Paul uses this word straight. I'm in a straight. It means to be held together or to be compressed. Paul was very much expressing his heart. I feel compressed by the circumstances all around me. If we're not careful, stress and these kind of things can, be, can become huge distractions in our life. 
Amen. Not only in our natural life, but certainly as it applies to our walk with God. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, uh, we are introduced to a story. That's a common story. But the Bible says in verse 38, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Notice that Martha made it about her. My sister has left me alone. I'm here alone doing it all. We see that common thread in the lives of many, many people. Even people in scripture. We know uh, uh, Elijah thought, I'm, I'm in this all by myself. And, and uh, the Lord had to remind him. Her focus was on herself. And when we put our focus on ourselves, that is always a recipe for failure or a recipe for disaster. And so Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but there's one thing that's needful. There is the main thing. And uh, Brother Tenney wrote a book entitled this, but it's uh, been around the saying, it's been around a lot longer than the book, but we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And as, as, as catchy as that phrase is, and as easily as it rolls off of our tongue, it is a struggle sometimes to keep the main thing the main thing. And this was a firm tug, this Martha, 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 that was a tug on the leash. That was God's way of trying to bring her back into focus, the focus where it needed to be. However, there was also an answer that was tucked away in this, in this one statement from the Lord. And that answer is that you need to be focused on one thing. There is one thing that is more important than all the things that we could mention. And that is certainly not to say that what Martha was doing was, not in, was insignificant, wasn't important to the overall matter of the moment. We know that in fact, that what she was doing was very commendable, that she was trying to be hospitable and make sure that everything was right. After all, the Lord was visiting her house. And so we want everything to be right. So it wasn't that she was off in some alley of sin or that she was doing something that was in, in a gross error, but the Lord had to remind her there is some main thing and you've got to keep your mind on the main thing. Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I believe tonight that, that this is an unyielding principle of scripture. That if we will keep the main thing, if we will keep the kingdom of God at heart, that he will take care of all the other things in our life. It was easy for me to stand here and say that, but I thank you for your response to that. Because I'm among people tonight that haven't just read that scripture, you've lived that scripture. You put God first when it would have been easy to put him at least in second place. And you watched the kingdom of God as it was the center of your life. And that God began to add and take care of other things. I've watched the Lord add to time. We've watched the Lord add to finances. We've watched God add to strength. We've watched God add to rest. Amen. We've watched God add, and you could fill in your own blank, that God, if we put him first, that the Lord would take care of that all the other things in our life. And life is filled with things. 
and all things are not evil, some things are significantly important to the overall well-being of our life. But when we put God first, he will take care of those other things. Paul said that he was what he was by the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians rather 15 and 9, he said, for I am the least of the apostles. Well, in many respects, we know that that would not be true because Paul was probably more educated if we look at it on a natural level. He was certainly more educated than any of the others or at least most of the others. But he said, I am the least. And we understand the significance of that statement. He said, I am not meet to be called an apostle. I'm not even worthy to be in this room. I'm not worthy to be among this group. And then Paul explains why. This was not false humility, not at all. He said, because I persecuted the church of God. You know, we've all t talked about or read and, and, uh, and maybe uh, mulled over why Paul uh, had this thorn in the flesh and what that thorn in the flesh may have been. I've heard many, many uh, people weigh in on that, and I'm not sure that uh, we any of us know, but I've often wondered if one of the things that Paul did not struggle with was guilt. Amen. Guilt over the persecution that he had and the havoc that he had wrought on the church that he was now part of and that he was now an intricate part of, a very visible, high-profile part of. And I just set that there for your consideration. You don't have to buy that. It's not for sale, just a thought. I just wonder what, if that what it is. And Paul said, I'm, I'm not even fit to be among these men because I persecuted the church of God. He said, however, again, this transparent honesty, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. This was not... Paul trying to wax eloquent. This was not Paul trying to woo somebody with speech, but this was Paul speaking from his heart, the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be an apostle, but I am what I am, and I am where I am by the grace of God, which was bestowed upon me. He said, not in vain, <laughs> not, not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed we are here by the grace of God we are what we are by the grace of God and Paul said I want you to know that God's grace went way out on a limb to pull me in but it wasn't in vain when the Lord reached out and, and brought me into the family of God he said I've given everything I have and that is true he has given everything that he had to the work of God and so Paul after naming those apostles who had seen the Lord he labels himself in the least category because of the blood that was upon his hand. But then he said, but the grace of God. Amen. We can, all of us, look and see the scars and bear the scars and the embarrassment and the shame of where we have been. But by the grace of God tonight, we're not here because we deserve it. Amen. I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to load you up with guilt this evening, but I just want us to be honest with ourselves and say we're not here because we deserve it. It is the grace of God that has blessed us. Amen. Beyond measure, beyond measure, the grace of God. And so that puts the circumstances into a, a far greater field of purpose. Paul realized that it was by God's design that he was allowed to follow his own path first. First. God said, well, I'll let you go down this path. I'll let you have your will. I'll let you have your way. 
Amen. I'll ask you not to raise your hand, but I believe we could all get in that line and say the Lord has let us have our way and he's let us walk down our own path. Amen. In essence, God was setting the hook. It's essential to know who we are and what we're here for. Because without a proper identity of understanding who we are and why we're here, then we may pursue the wrong thing. We may reach down the wrong alley. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. This wasn't Paul boasting of himself. This was Paul trying to stress, I didn't deserve being here and I'm leaning in with everything that I have. I got on this train last. I got on this train late, but I want you to know that I'm giving this everything that I have. In Acts 19, we see where some seven men of the chief priests, they tried to, re to rebuke the devil by using the name of Jesus, the name that Paul was preaching in. And the devil spoke and said this, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Amen. The only way we're going to make hell's headlines is to be a threat to the devil's work. Amen. You got to be a threat to the devil's work for him to know who you are. And that won't happen by our own abilities. This wasn't, this wasn't Paul out here just operating under the strength and the wisdom of Paul, but it was the hand of God upon his life. And, and the enemy, the devil said, Jesus I know. And Paul, I know. Amen. I'm so thankful tonight to know that we can lean in to the arms of the Lord and allow him to lead us and guide us and direct our paths. Amen. And when we do that, when we walk in the will of God, we are a threat to darkness because light, light has control and light has authority over darkness. So you don't have to walk in some business and announce you have the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's like walking in a dark room and announcing you're the light. You don't have to say the light is here. The light just comes on and darkness has to flee. Amen. I'm thankful for the power of God and I'm thankful for the power of light in a very dark and dismal world. I believe that stress demands a reaction. The 23rd Psalm is, is often referred to. Many Bibles even uh, use this as a heading, David's confidence in God's grace. That's how the 23rd Psalm is often referred to, God's, uh, David's confidence in God's grace. Most often when we think about the 23rd Psalm or we hear the 23rd Psalm, it's referred to almost as though it's just a poem of sorts. However, I think this is far more than something we print on a plaque or, or something far more than we hang on a wall. This is something far more than we just refer to at the end of somebody's life. But I believe this is a list of powerful promises. Amen. They hold within them a deep sense of peace. And so tonight, as familiar as you may be with this scripture passage, I want to read it one more time in your hearing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is great 
peace that comes from that passage. Amen. We don't just read that. We don't just read that at, at certain times of the day or certain times of the year or certain seasons. But I believe that that ought to be a go-to passage that we pull out. Amen. In that we read that line for line, word for word, and we pull every thread of that promise into our heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen. Those lines, those lines from David's heart was an expression of his confidence in his God. I will tell you tonight, it's not just something we put on a bumper sticker. It's not just a scripture we read at, the, at somebody's funeral. Amen. It is, I, it is our hope. It is an anchor point of our soul. People don't dial 911 just to call in and let everybody on the other end know all is well. Generally, that number is always associated with stress on the other end. Something wrong. Something is wrong. We live uh, in, a, in a line uh, just a little bit south of our home. Almost sometimes fly right over our home. Uh, the Shans uh, chopper. And so every time we're outside or even there are times inside we can hear it. And when it flies over our home, we have just always made it a practice to stop what we're doing and just pray and ask God to touch them. We don't know, obviously, the situation, the circumstances but they're not on a joy ride. They're not just out surveying the land. They're, they're not just out riding around burning fuel. Somebody dialed a number. Amen. Some crisis happened and they're on their way. And life, somebody's life perhaps is in the balances. Nobody called to say all is well. They dialed that number to say we have an emergency and we need help. We need help right now. And so we pray, God, we don't know what that is all about. And we may never even read about it in the newspaper or online. But Lord, we're asking you tonight, today, touch that situation, touch those circumstances. Amen. Some people never learn to allow God to take a hold of their life in a meaningful way, to have full control. They don't want God to have control because they fear losing control. And I'm just going to confess to you, in all of our humanity, it's not always easy to let God have control. Because God doesn't tell us a lot of details. He doesn't fill in a lot of blanks. And if you don't think I'm telling the truth, just read about Joseph. Amen. There was a lot of his life that was left out. It all came to pass. But there was a lot of details of his life that was, that was left out. But having God in control of our life is the safest place that we can be in. Amen. Perhaps to be restored, we've got to be led. We've got to come to God for restoration. But we have got to learn then to submit ourselves to His will and submit ourselves to His leading. And it's not always easy to recognize the hand of God in our life. We've probably all seen parents somewhere along the way trying to lead a child that didn't want to be led. Stressful situation for both people involved. In their youthful innocence, they misunderstood the parent's hand. They misunderstood the parent's intentions. They misunderstood their parent's offer. Is that we're trying to keep you safe. We're trying to take you where you need to go. We're trying to keep you out of trouble. And so sometimes we are that child. And it is his hand that's holding us. And perhaps there are times we look just that way in the eyes of God. He's trying to lead us. He's trying to guide us. And we are singing about trusting Him. 
we're amening about trusting him. We think we're trusting him, but when he tries to pull us in a direction that we don't understand, amen, we feel that divine pressure. We want to go this way, but God is pulling us this way. I have to learn to trust the hand of God. Psalms 23 is about giving God the right to lead, to feed, and to bless us. The, the totality of our lives. We give everything into his hands. Jacob, he first in his flesh wrestled with God. He had to wrestle with God before God before he could be blessed by God. He wrestled with God. Amen. He didn't really have to do that. But we find ourselves often wrestling with God when he's really just wanting to bless us. And so if we were to look back at Luke 10 and 38... The story we read earlier about Mary and Martha. There is a central truth that cannot be denied. And that is the fact that while Martha just simply received Jesus into her house. Mary worshipped him. Amen. They were under the same roof. They were in the same proximity. One just said come on in. You're welcome. Have a seat. While she hurried and busied herself about something that was important. But Mary worshipped him. I don't want to just receive the Lord in any given worship service like this one tonight. I don't want to be just a Martha that's running around because there are some things we got to do. There are some things we got to take care of. Can I be honest with you? There are some things you're depending on us to take care of before you get here. You're expecting the lights to be on and the, and the air or the heat to be on. You're expecting music. You're expecting singers. You're expecting praise and worship. You're expecting somebody to come to the pulpit prepared. Those are expectations. There is a Martha side to all of this. And so we do want to receive him but we don't want to just welcome him into the building we want to worship him when he gets here hallelujah amen there's a pull there's a pull there's a pressure sometimes but we've got to learn the value of keeping the main thing the main thing when we're pressed on all sides of life when when the challenges of life come pressing from every direction it is so necessary that we make sure we do that one thing that is needed so I would say this this evening just to stay in line with my illustration a moment ago, that if we came together and we had everything just exactly like it should be as far as the details of a service flow, but we didn't worship him, then we would have failed. And we could high-five each other. We could say everything was right on cue, everything went off, everybody knew their place, everybody knew the timing of, of everything. But we could get here... And there be nothing in place and not one song, not one note of music, not anybody to even preach or teach the word. But if we came in and we worshipped him. Amen. The main thing. The main thing. If we had that worship, amen, then we would have done what God intended for us to do. Martha was so distracted by much serving. And it's so easy to get distracted with busyness. I confess. And you can confess. It is very easy to get bogged down and distracted with so much busyness. And I will even say godly busyness. Good busyness. Amen. Spiritual busyness. Holy busyness. We're not talking about sin and corruption. But we're talking about even doing the things of God. And if we're not careful, we miss the opportunity to worship Him. We miss the opportunity to allow His presence to touch our lives. Amen. Because busyness can let you know where your priorities are. 
and sometimes our, our, our picture of our priorities is not a pretty picture. And so here is, I want to turn our attention for just a moment to the book of first or the book of Second Kings in chapter 13. The Bible says I'm talking about priorities. The Bible talks about in 2 Kings 13 and 14 that Elisha had fallen sick of his sickness wherever he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elijah said unto him and to Joash, he said, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of the deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice or three times and stayed. Or he stopped. So he, he smote thrice and stayed three times and stopped. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, shouldest, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then thou had smitten Syria until thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And so here we see this unique picture in the Old Testament. Joash was not really a godly king. He was just a, a leader who had tried everything else. He was a leader that had come to the end of himself. And so now... Then and only then does he realize that, that the man of God was his last hope. And so on his deathbed, this story reminds us of, that, that God often puts us to extreme tests before really launching us forward for his glory. Right before the battle, right before this great discovery, God may be doing to us what we see unfolding here in this passage of Scripture that God may be placing us like that arrow on that bowstring and, and drawing us away from our comfort zone and drawing us into some unfamiliar place. Amen. That place that causes us to let go. That, call, that place that causes us to slow down. I believe the Lord has, I'll testify of myself, you find yourself here, but I believe the Lord has allowed certain things to come my way to slow me down. Because otherwise, I was ignoring all the other signals. Amen. So every interruption is not a bad interruption. Amen. I felt a little conviction there sharing that story. But God draws us sometimes into those unfamiliar places. Causes us to let go. Causes us to slow down. There will always and also be a strain within our spirit when we're out of the will of God. I don't believe that somebody that is filled with the Holy Ghost is going and living a sincere life and has a prayer life and a walk with God. And I'm not saying you won't get out of the will of God, but you won't stay out of the will of God. Because when you get out of the will of God, you're talking about stress. That can put a lot of stress and strain in our spirit when we get out of the will of God. And so it didn't take long to see that Joash was not about uh, the commands Amen. The same prophet that had told the Syrian general Naaman, he told him to dip seven times in Jordan's river and to be healed. And so all Joash had to do was just beat those arrows on the floor. Amen. And maybe he would have known that this is going to lead me to the victory that I need. But he, he failed to respond in that moment. 
Strike the ground. That was the command. Perhaps the absence of a suggested number uh, left that open to interpretation. The, the prophet just said, strike the ground. Strike the ground. However, everyone knew about Naaman and the story of Naaman and how he had dipped seven times in the Jordan's River. Amen. What a key if Joash had been able just to recall that and think maybe that's what I should be doing. And, and maybe maybe more than just three times, maybe five times or six times. And, and the man of God said, if you had just struck the ground and just kept striking you would have struck Syria until it would have all been over amen later we do see in scripture that he did defeat Syria but true to the word of God he only he only defeated them three times amen in the presence of God's word we will determine how much we're going to be influenced beyond that point that was the word of God that came forth from a dying man but it was the word of God I want to be influenced amen I want the word of God to be in me amen Joash was a king that might have thought hitting the floor with arrows that's beneath my pride that's beneath my pay grade I've got better things to do than to listen to a dying man talk about silly things but that one act alone would have determined what's going to happen on the battlefield amen it's not our calling it is not our training it's not my family it's not our abilities but it's what we do in response to the word of God that determines where we're going to go amen I'm not talking about responding as in an amen or responding in a hallelujah or a raised hand but it's what we're going to do with the word of God when we get up and walk away from this service tonight or any time that the word of God has the ability to meet and minister to our heart it would have been a good thing for the king to understand that Elijah was more than just a man of a man of God. Elijah was the man of God. Amen. He stood in God's stead. He spoke in God's stead. And that desperation of Joash wasn't strong enough to overcome his pride. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do it my way. Amen. It can't be a token or a gesture. I want to look real quickly at Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, or to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and 5 years old when he departed out of Haran or Haran. Genesis 12, Abraham is told that God is going to make of him a great nation. But as we know, Abraham heard these words, and when he heard these words, he was a childless man. In Genesis 15, Abraham asked the Lord, he said, How, what are you going to give me seeing that I go childless? How am I going to be this person that you're talking about seeing that I go childless? You know the story of Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah how that she came up with a, a what seemed like a master plan. Uh, their master plan, their own family. And we're going to help God out in this situation. However, in Genesis 17, God says something that stunned and perhaps even shocked Abraham. Because Abraham said, well, I know this is probably how you're going to do it. And you're probably going to take Ishmael and you're going to, you're going to bring all this about. And the Lord said unto him, no. Now it's one thing when your friend says no. One thing when your companion says no. But when God says no, no, amen. Remember how terrible the sound of no was when your parents 
with those two letters destroyed some great plans? <laughs> no. No, just two words. And it stopped everything. Amen. I'll ask our musicians to come. Two words, two letters rather. One word, two letters, just so brief and abrupt. No. And it changed everything. What generally followed as a child, what generally followed that word was immediate stress. <laughs> even, as a, even as a child. May have been a temper tantrum and may have been a number of things. But as difficult as it would be to hear the word no, I will tell you that it's an equally difficult thing when God says nothing. Amen. I think I'm preaching to people tonight that's heard God say no. Dejected, downtrodden. But I think I'm also preaching to people that have heard God say nothing. And at times, God's silence can be so stressful. You ever been there? If the Lord would just say, I believe I'm willing to do whatever. But it's that silence, that eerie silence. So from the very beginning, the journey that God directed Abraham to take was only going to be possible by faith. And that's what God was trying to show him. You barren man, you're going to be the father of all nations. This is going to take faith to get from where you are to where I want to take you. And so it's human nature sometimes to, to want to try to loosen the strings in our own lives when they start getting tight and tense. We've got to do what we've got to do to kind of bring some relief to this situation. Relieve the pressure. But here's what we have to understand is that God is the master of every season of our life. And he knows exactly where we are. And I know it's so easy in times of plenty to say amen, preach on, preach on. But when you're in that season of silence, it is hard to really grasp and pull into our spirit that God is the master of every season and he knows what he's doing and he doesn't feel obligated to fill us in <laughs> he doesn't feel he doesn't feel obligated to sit down and kind of go over a game plan God has never felt obligated to do that he knows what we can take and he knows that the process that we're going through is changing us for the good Abraham what I'm trying to say is Ishmael is not the, even though he's right in front of you, even though this seems so sensible, he's right there. Ishmael is not that option. He is not the option. Even though he's right there in front of you, it's uncomfortable, but this is not miraculous. It's not really pleasant. It's not convenient. Even, it's not really pleasant, even though it may have been a, a moment of convenience. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said this, and I'll ask you to stand. He said something that makes no sense. He said, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So hear me now.
when I am strong in myself, that can only mean that I am not strong in the Lord. Because I can't be strong in me and strong in Him. Amen. I need God to touch me and you need God to touch you. Divine pressure comes our way sometimes. Straight between. We find ourselves in that place of compression. We call it stress. But God often balances us with counterweights to offset something that might draw us away from His path or His purpose. And so God does place counterweights in our life. And this may be uncomfortable, but Paul had a thorn. We don't know what that was. And he sought the Lord three times to be delivered. And then finally the Lord just reminded him, my grace is sufficient. And Paul came to a, a really a very holy conclusion. And he said, if this thorn is what is allowing the anointing and the power of the Lord to flow through me, then I'm willing for this counterweight to be here so that I can be used of God. Yes, Amen. That's the bottom line of what the scripture says. And so the Lord is saying, well, I could deliver you. But that that you're facing over here may be the very thing that's keeping you upright. It may be the very thing that keeps you humble enough to pray. It may be the very thing that allowed you to pin those words from your heart that I am the least of all. I'm the last man deserving this. I am what I am by the grace of God. Abraham was childless. Maybe that was the counterweight that, that he needed in his life so that he could fully learn to trust God. Moses, Moses had a speech impediment of some sort. Perhaps that was what it was that kept him humble enough to be used of God. The list could go on and on and on and on. You find people in Scripture, but I will take it one step further. You find people in life mightily used of God. If you'll just somehow thumb through all the pages of their life, you're going to find something. Amen. You'll find something. An unanswered prayer. A shattered dream. Something. Is it God being cruel? No, I'm not suggesting that at all. But sometimes that divine pressure in our lives is the very thing that's helping us press forward and be what God has called us to be. These and all more. David was a man that did not ask for anything that happened to him. I mentioned Joseph earlier. Another man didn't ask for any of the things that happened to him, good or bad. But God had to take him through some things. Because he was taking him somewhere to elevate him. Amen. They were carefully balanced by God in order to obtain their purpose. You go through the scripture, you find them male and female alike. If they were mightily used of God somewhere in their history, you can find them in a place of uncertainty. Because God was proving them and testing them. Amen. Divine pressure. Can we worship the Lord as we close this service tonight? Amen. Let's magnify him together. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. 
Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.